in-depth and God-filled conversations with some of the brightest names in contemporary Christian music and worship. This is The Artist Interview with Gordon T. And welcome to this week's episode of The Artist Interview. I'm your host, Gordon T, and it's my absolute honour, privilege and pleasure to scale the world of contemporary Christian music and worship to find people with amazing stories, amazing music, and things that really bless us. So this week, you know, we're often in Nashville. Uh, sometimes we've been in Australia, other parts of the world, Canada, etc., Hawaii. But this week, we're going to be in, well, slightly sunny, sometimes raining right now at the moment, England. So um, I'm looking forward to introducing someone that I expect many of you listeners will not yet have heard of. And it's always good to bring someone fresh and new to the show. This guy is called Ricky Doolan. I hope I'm saying his name now. I'll check that in just a minute. But anyway, before we speak to Ricky, let's hear this first track from, I tell you what, very powerful lyrics. Listen up to this because there is a real message in this song. And the song is called Turned It Around. Playing my guitar in that old church pew Didn't know what to do So I looked for you I called and you answered me On my knees begging Lord, Lord, please With a smile you set me free And you changed my identity You led me to my destiny My soul's released, my heart's at peace Oh yeah! From the drinks to the drugs Life is a thug From the guilt to the pain To the sorrow and shame There was until you came You came You turned it around Around and around and around Turn it around You turn And that was Turned It Around by Ricky Doolan. Hey, Ricky, how are you doing? I'm doing very good. Thanks, God, and thanks for having me on. Pleasure to be here. Great. Uh, am, I, am I saying your name right? Perfect. It was perfect. Okay. Where, where's the name from? Well, uh, the surname is originally from the country of Ireland. So my grandparents' grandparents uh, immigrated to England from Ireland back in early 1900s. Okay, okay. I wondered I wondered if there was Irish heritage there. I said, but where in the world are you right now? So I am in Lincolnshire, the beautiful uh, county of Lincolnshire um, in England. Yeah, so if any of our international listeners are listening, Lincolnshire, it does sound something like it could be from Hobbits, but it's, it's not from, from that sort. It's, it's somewhere in the middle of England, I think, roughly. Speaking. That's right. So, okay, uh, so that song has got really, really powerful lyrics in it. And I think that song is based in your own testimony. Now, lots yes. lots of people who come on the show, when I say, tell tell me about your story and, and how you met with Jesus, quite often, um, particularly in America, it is often that people go, I always went to church. And then at some point, I realized it was really for me. And I, I became a Christian at that point sort of thing. I'm guessing your story might, might have a different start to it. I don't yet know everything, but take us, take us back as far as you want and paint a picture of what your life was like uh, and then tell us how Jesus fitted into that whole whole picture. Thank you, Gordon. So I was um, a rock and roller. So the whole nine yards, I was doing rock and roll music in pubs, nightclubs uh, around the country, but predominantly in Middlesbrough, which is my hometown. And um, I was doing the whole lifestyle as well, the the drugs, the alcohol, and... Um, and I was very good at it. I was very good at the partying. I was very good at the drugs and alcohol. And I would do everything from cocaine to ecstasy to marijuana. Um, and I would drink the strongest of alcohol that I could possibly find, whether it be vodka, whiskey, absinthe, you name it. I was I was involved in that. And that was a lifestyle for me for many, many years. Um, well, what, age, what age did it start? I mean, I, I was drinking from the age of 13. Uh, on the streets of Middlesbrough. Um, I was smoking marijuana from the age of 14. Um, and that just carried on all the way through school, college, then university. It, it even enhanced in university to, to new levels. Um, then I went backpacking around the world for four years where I learned to play music. Um, and, I and every country I visited, every city I visited, I would try their alcohol, I'd try their drugs, everything. This was my lifestyle. And what it was doing was deteriorating me physically, mentally, and of course, most importantly, uh, spiritually. Um, 
no. So did, did you have sort of much spiritual awareness then? And starting drugs age, uh, well, 14, yes. it's, I'm, uh, that's a sad age. Just, it it's, is. It's sad as any age to start drugs, but 14, that's, that's, that's quite young. I'm guessing you're getting into a crowd of people. Yes. And I'm guessing that the majority of those people are not going to be going, you know, there's some good news. The Bible turns out to be true. I'm guessing that was nobody. Nobody at all. Okay. So you had, you had no, no one around you mentioned God much at all. Well, childhood was Catholic upbringing. So family had a little bit of Catholic, you know, it wasn't like everybody was serious or going to mass every Sunday, but there was a little bit of that. My primary school was Catholic up until the age of 11. Once I got to the age of 11, stopped completely. That was the end of that. Um, started secondary school. And I don't think I ever mentioned God or Jesus again once I came out of the Catholic primary school. Um, that's how it went on until 2011. So, so you finished university. You went on a four-year trip uh, around the world, learned some music skills. So what, what age, let's, what year was that? What, 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 what was that four-year period? When's that? So left university 2004 and went backpacking. I started in Thailand, eight months in Thailand, uh, two, two months in Nepal um, at, the, at the northern tip of India. And then two years in Australia and New Zealand, and then back round to the UK, where I landed in Manchester in 2008. And I went to Manchester because I was seeking the, to continue my musical journey. And you know, I was a big I was a big fan of Oasis and Stone Roses and these Manchester bands. So I said, let me go to Manchester. And when I got to Manchester, I became a homeless busker. We we. Literally homeless. Yeah, literally, yeah. So I was basically, I was busking for my for my keep every night. So if I made twelve pounds, I could get into the backpacking hostel. If I didn't, I was without anywhere to stay. But my musical skills enabled me to get on a few couches and a few floors here and there. So that's how I was kind of getting by. I was always focused on on music, and that's what I wanted to do even back then. But that was the situation I found myself in. Um, and that was the place, Manchester, St. Anne's Square used to be my busking spot in Manchester, for those that know Manchester. And I'd be there every single day. Some days I'd make enough to get my accommodation, other days I wouldn't. But um, that's where I was. Can I ask you, though, at that moment, do you, and you're saying you, you really want you to do music, that was the thing you wanted to do. Yes. Did you feel like you had any hope to manage to do that? Or because uh, you talked about the way that taking drugs was was actually destroying you as well. Yes. And when you're homeless and you're on drugs, you haven't got much further to fall in some respects, I suppose. Exactly. Uh, it sounds to me, and I, I sometimes do talk to homeless people, and the things that they sometimes shared mind-blowing I'm going I don't I can't even relate to that I've got no idea what that would feel like but I don't know how you're coping because sometimes I find life complicated enough living in a nice house that's got heating uh so right. so so you're you're out on the streets uh, any hope what, what are you thinking right so I was always focused on music and I always felt like I could get there one day um I never kind of give up that hope and like I said the fact that I could play music and I was singing in, in pubs as well as on the streets. Even if I didn't make enough money, I would find someone in a pub, I'd sleep on someone's couch, they'd like my music, so they'd be like, oh, come to our house. So I never slept on the concrete of the street. That never happened. But I was homeless for two years. So I would be going from couch to, to floor, to the backpacking hostel, to this hostel. And that was kind of how my life was flowing. But I really hit, uh, I really hit rock bottom at that time. Like I really hit rock bottom and I remember being in St. Anne's Square and I hadn't made enough money. I'd made about three pounds. It was raining on me, which is a usual for Manchester, for those that know Manchester. And I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know what to think. I didn't know if my life was going anywhere. I really, I really didn't know what to do. And, you know, now I'm more of a spiritual man. I know it must have been my spirit back then. And it led me to a church and it's Manchester Cathedral, right in the center of Manchester. And I don't even know why I wanted to go there. I just wanted somewhere that was comfortable, somewhere that would, would accept me somewhere. I just wanted to go somewhere that 
was warm or somewhere. And I don't know, I can't really explain it, but I went there and the guy on the front door, I, had, I just thought he was going to stop me. And I went there with my guitar and then them days I was really looking kind of rough, long hair, you know, out on the streets all day. And um, he just said, come on in. And I thought, wow, that's great. So I went in there, walked in with my guitar, went to the quietest, smallest room at the back of the cathedral. And I just sat down. I looked into the corner of the room and in my heart, not even vocally, I just asked God for help. And I didn't know if God was real. I didn't know if he existed. I certainly would have denied his existence before then. And everything began to change from that point. Now, I didn't know if my, my prayer had been answered. Um, but fast forward a little, and things were still hitting rock bottom in Manchester. So I decided, let me go back to my hometown of Middlesbrough. At least my family's there. I'd been, I'd also been distant from my family for many years. I thought, at least my family's there. Let me get back to Middlesbrough. Let me find myself, you know, at least it's my hometown. Let me go there. And when I went back to Middlesbrough, I ended up being um, an events promoter, a live music events promoter, simply because I was playing music. I played in a pub and I started inviting a few people to come and play with me. And that led me into doing more live music events. And that was my thing. Now, in, during this time, I also was studying American music. And the reason why I was studying American music is for my musical development, I wanted to understand where popular music in, in the modern day originated from, how it developed. So I was studying American music. Now, while I was studying American music, I was hearing blues, I was hearing country, but I was also hearing gospel. And I heard Mahalia Jackson and Sister Rosetta Tharp. Uh, and this music was touching me in a way like no music's ever touched me before. It was making me cry just listening to the music. And there's a video of Mahalia Jackson on singing on the Johnny Cash show from the 1970s, which is a secular TV show on a secular network. And she's singing Amazing Grace. And she closes her eyes and worships God the whole way through the song. It might be three or four minutes. Complete freestyle worship. You can just tell like she's just worshiping. And that song touched me so much. Every time I would be at a after party, five o'clock in the morning, full of cocaine, full of alcohol, surrounded with people. And it gets to that stage of the party where everyone starts dropping off and you get on YouTube and you're playing each other music. And I would play this Mahalia Jackson song in the parties full of coke. And it would make me weep. And even the people around me would cry. And there was something in the, I, I didn't know why I was crying, but there was something in the voice and the singing, and now I know to be the spirit that had pain, but had an overriding hope over the pain, and I didn't know what that hope was. I later found out that hope was Jesus, but I searched for that hope, and I wanted to find that hope that was in Mahalia Jackson's voice. I wanted to find it. I wanted to get involved in it, whatever it was. people that used to listen to this Mahalia Jackson song with me when I used to play it for him and we used to be taking drugs all night is my cousin uh, by the name of Rene who also lives in Middlesbrough now it's a little sidetrack on the story but it's important so I went forward I came I came to Christ and I'm here speaking to you he went forward he continued with the drugs and he ended up committing suicide recently so it's definitely a path of destruction and death. Um, but that's what the devil wants, isn't he? He wants us dead. He doesn't want us making it to heaven. So back onto the main part of the story. I was in this flat, dirty couch, dirty flat, full of drugs, full of alcohol. 
woke up at eight in the morning. I just felt a compelling, like, just get up off this couch. It's, just, it's not the right place to be. I went into the bathroom. I looked in the mirror. My face looked like death. My eyes were drooped. It just looked, it didn't look like me. I was unrecognizable. And I said, right, I'm out of here. I'm going home. So I walked out the flat, walked down the main street in Middlesbrough Town Centre to get a bus to go home. And as I was walking down that street, I heard this worship music coming out of a church. And it related to the Mahalia Jackson feeling that I was getting. I said, wow, okay, this is it. Went into the hallway, into the entrance to the building. It was a church building. And I looked in and people were there and people were singing and playing on the instruments. And I felt so dirty that I couldn't go in. I thought, I'm full of I'm full of drugs. What I was doing last night, taking drugs. I was, I'm, I'm a dirty guy. I can't go into this holy place. And it took me about 20 minutes to 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 get the bravery to walk in there. But when I did, I, I went to see the band and I said, guys, I've been looking for you. And they were all laughing and smiling. And I felt like the smiling that they were giving me was so real. I'm used to the drug parties and the nightclubs where the smiling ain't real, where the love is not real. So it was like, wow, that was really, I felt that straight away. So we swapped phone numbers, said, look, I want to put you on my event in the nightclub, boom, boom, boom. We spoke a little bit. Then after that, you know, it turned out that, you know, they refused to come and play in the nightclub. But I said to him, okay then, but what are your Sunday services like? And the guy just said to me, you're going to love it. I went to the Sunday service the following day, smoked 25 cigarettes outside the, the church. I was so nervous going in there. Um, I went in there. Within two weeks, I'd received Christ. Within three weeks, I was in the worship team. You know, I'm now a pastor. Um, fast forward 10 years later, I've traveled around the world uh, at huge crusades around the world, sometimes 100,000 people in physical attendance, you know, uh, spreading the gospel through music, um, singing for Jesus. I've now got records out and music videos. And I just, I've got I've got a beautiful wife and two, two daughters. And to think I'm here and my cousin who I was with back then watching Mahalia Jackson is now left no legacy and took his own life is, is really a testament to the reality of Jesus Christ. Like Jesus Christ is a reality and just one touch from him changes lives. And, and my life is a testimony to that. And from now until the end of times, I will continue to try to enable other people around the world to also have that connection and impact with Jesus that I had. And that's my whole mission, even with the music, is to reach people. If music led me to Christ or Christ grabbed me through music, whichever way it was, then it definitely can happen to other people. Wow. Wow. It's such an amazing testimony. And it's bittersweet. It's amazing to hear that you've got saved from it all and your life radically turned around but I'm so sorry to hear about your cousin that that, that puts it all in context as well doesn't it yes. you're right the, the devil has a plan and it, the devil's plan is death and destruction right. and to steal the goodness of God that he wants to put in to our lives That's and right. the world around us so um I, I I don't know much about drugs I've not been in that scene but I think it's extraordinary to hear that you were in it, you went along to a church, and then within three weeks, you said you were you were part of the worship team. You got saved after two weeks. And, then I'd, and that time frame doesn't work for me. I'll tell you what doesn't work, <laughs> because the people that I have spoken to who've been in your background, normally yes. there is quite a process to, to change because drugs have such a grip on your mind right. and who you are and all the rest of it. Tell us what, what happened to you with regards to actually breaking free from your past. Thank you, God. And so mine was so rapid that I feel like from the time I walked into that church to now, there was some type of fast tracking that took place. Even revelation that was being preached and taught, I seemed to be able to grasp revelation fast. And the drugs stopped like within weeks, within them first two weeks, I never touched drugs again from that first two weeks of coming to church. The, the alcohol, I went, this is the second week that I went to the church. I was running regular Thursday nights, Sunday nights, live music in a pub. Then I was doing once a month in the nightclub that I mentioned earlier. 
Now, when I went to the pub on a Thursday after my second week in church, I picked up my normal pint of lager that I would drink just casually, like all of the time. I took a drink of it and it tasted like poison. So the first, the, when I say poison, all alcohol is poison. Now, when you first drink alcohol, when you, you can taste it. Like as a youngster on the streets, when I first started drinking alcohol, you'd be vomiting all the time. It would taste disgusting, but you accustomize yourself to the taste. Now, when after I'd been at church for two weeks and I went and drunk this pint of lager, it went back to the original taste, which was like so disgusting. I could taste the, the poison in it. I put that pint down and I never drank a, a pint of beer since. The smoking was more difficult because I was smoking 25 cigarettes a day easily. But the more I read the word and the more I prayed, I, I couldn't even put a cigarette to my lips. By, by enough of the word and enough of prayer, it just, either, if I put it there, it just felt disgusting. So really, the, it was the word that was changing me, but it changed me so fast. Wow. Wow. Well, it's, it's the power of Jesus to set people free from That's whatever right. stuff is, is gripping onto us. Uh, he, right. can, he can make that stuff fall away, but that's, that's extraordinary. So, so there wasn't someone saying to you, you've got to give up alcohol. It literally just, you could know, you just couldn't have the appetite for it. You couldn't drink it. It was just, it was a physical thing. That, that simple. Yeah, it was a physical thing. Obviously it was spiritual, but it was manifested in physically. So, like I said, it became like poison. It became like something disgusting. And, you know, the word of God is so powerful and it's the light. So darkness can never comprehend the light. So the more light I was getting inside of me, just the darkness of smoking and taking drugs and hanging out with the wrong people uh, was just, was no longer uh, um, something that I could stand with. Yeah. Well, I tell you what, it's absolutely amazing testimony. I'm sure we've got more to, to dig into, but we've got another track uh, to play from you right now. The track is called You Are God Alone. Can you tell us the backstory to that track? Why, why did you write it? What's the message in it? So this one, You Are God Alone, um, I just wanted to worship God um, and celebrate him for, for, for his sovereignty because he's God and he's God alone and there's no other God um, that we can talk about. He's the creator of heaven and earth. Is the one true God, and I wanted to celebrate His sovereignty uh, through this song. You are God alone. You are. You are God alone. You are God. You are God alone. You are. 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 You are God alone. And that was You Are God Alone by Ricky Doolan. And I'm so pleased that Ricky is still with us here for the artist interview. Ricky, that is an extraordinary and very powerful testimony. Uh, thanks for sharing so much. Um, I, I've, you know, I just, I'm amazed. I'm so grateful that God shows his love for all people. There's no one too far that God can't reach. And also there's I know, the opposite scale. I guess the people who've tried all their lives to be really, really good to try and please God. Uh, yet God's love was always there before we did anything. It would be lovely right now if you were happy to pray for listeners. Thank you, God. And definitely I would be very happy to do that. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for this platform. Thank you for Gordon's life. Thank you for everybody who's out there right now listening to this. Father, we pray in the name of Jesus for everybody out there anybody that may be struggling with alcohol with drugs with any type of addiction we pray for them right now we decree and declare that your power is in them your power is in the word that no addiction and no substance can ever come above your power you are god alone and you are god and sovereign over everything over any addiction over any problem over any plan of the enemy. And we decree and declare right now to everybody listening that they are free. They are free from any addiction. They are free from any problem. That you are the turnaround God, that you can turn around any situation. So everybody listening right now, we decree and declare an increase in strength 
strength over any problem, strength over any addiction in the mighty name of Jesus. We decree and declare a rising of the spirit, a rising of power, a rising of strength to overcome any situation. And anybody out there listening that has not yet started a relationship with Jesus, we decree and declare Jesus is the answer to every problem in your life. Jesus is the answer to your life. In the mighty name of Jesus, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. What a journey. What a journey you've been on. But we, we've, only, we've only got to the point, really, where you've, you've got saved. Uh, and you, you, yes. said, you said, and then God's taken me off on these amazing things. So, so you, you start in the worship uh, band. What, what was the church called that you were at? What was it like? A Spirit Embassy Church uh, is the name of the church. And brilliant church. The founders of the church, um, Prophet Yubin and Bibi Angel, originally from Zimbabwe, but founded the church in 2007 in Manchester, England, and a church that's centered on prayer, that's centered on the supernatural, and you know, more so centered on the word. And it's the word of God that really got me. It was the revelation. It was the Bible. It was reading the word. It was the thing that really engaged me in, in such a, a deep manner. I couldn't get enough of it. I couldn't put it down until I, I'd read it from the front to the back. Literally, from this when I started church um, to probably about three, four months in, I'd read it front to back. I couldn't put it down. I had it, I had it on my mobile wow. phone. I had it in my backpack. I just couldn't put that. I couldn't put the Bible down. It was amazing. So brilliant church. I ended up starting a cell group. Now, now there might be people from different backgrounds or people doing a church tool. Yes. So what, what is a cell group? Cell group is like a, a, an offshoot of the of the main kind of branch of the church. Uh, and a cell group is something you would do in midweek. It wouldn't be, you know, it will be like a smaller group in somebody's house that you would meet. Um, and we started one in Thorntree, which is a, a, a quite infamous uh, council estate in Middlesbrough. Uh, and we, we started in there. And, you know, I used to lead worship in the house group and then be in the worship team, you know, on the Sunday as well. And that's where it really began. And then things grew from there. Um, we had a, a big branch of the church in Birmingham. So I decided to move to Birmingham because all I wanted to do was push the gospel. I'd now, I'd, everything had changed. The, 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 the music events company that I used to, run all of the music events that I used to run and now flipped it to Christian events. So I stopped going in the pubs. I stopped running events in the nightclubs and the pubs. And I began now to run Christian events. So I did a couple of Christian events in, in Middlesbrough. And then I decided, look, I'm going to Birmingham where, where the main branch of the church is. So I moved out to Birmingham and just volunteered myself seven days a week, no salary, no allowance, nothing. I just said, I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm going to work at the church seven days a week, whether it's sweeping up, whether it's um, decorated or whatever it is. I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm going to pause you because there's going to be people listening because I'm listening. I'm going, yeah, pause me. okay, that's a faith venture. I can see that. But practically, how does that actually work? Because you, you're volunteering all the time, but you're earning no money. So how are you actually eating? Right. So I, I was sleeping on the sofa of a pastor at the church. And I didn't plan any of this. I just went. Like you said, I like the way you put it, Gordon. A faith venture. It was very much a faith venture. I packed up my, my bags. I went there. A pastor put me up on his couch for, for quite some time. And I was there on the couch. Eventually, I ended up working for the ministry. They saw, they saw what I, my passion. They saw what I was doing. And they took me on in the ministry um, where I ended up. Uh, becoming a, the events director for the ministry. So what, what age what age was that then? This is at the, you want my age. <laughs> well, what age were you when you were doing that? And, so, and how many years ago was it? So that was 2000 and I got saved in 2011. And then I'd moved to Birmingham by 2013. Okay. Yeah. So two years and then I'd moved to Birmingham. Um, I was already... 31, 32, somewhere around there. Um, but I'd, I'd, I'd hit, I'd came to Christ so passionately, but that's all I wanted to do now. All I wanted to do was push this gospel, 
get it to people, win souls, you know, let people know about Jesus. And I'm, I'm still like that. That's exactly how I am right now. I'm, my main focus, whether I'm doing my music or whatever I'm doing, is still to get the word of Jesus Christ to people around the world. So I ended up doing that in Birmingham for quite some time and, you know, you know, connected um, with the ministry even more, got into the, got into the, you know, I was leading praise and worship. I wasn't releasing any music. I wasn't writing any music. I was just focused on praise and worship and this is it. Um, and then in 2017, um, I began to to do music through the ministry first, like my own songs. And I released my first song on New Year's Eve 2017 um, called Hello Jesus. And then from there, I've, I've now got an album that's out that came out uh, 2000, uh, 2021, end of 2021. And I've got another album coming up this year that will follow uh, turning around that's that's coming out on the 14th of July. So so you got an album, is the album coming out July, 2023 then? Um, no, July, it, the album's gonna come out next month, August. August, 2023, okay, okay, yes. that's how, because so, some people might be listening on Catch Up or something, so I have no idea when it's, they're listening, but that at least gives some context. What, what's the album called? It's, well, this will be an exclu exclusive as well. I've not put the name of the album out yet, but I'll, I'll do it for you, Gordon, on Hope FM. It's called You. You, a nice, yes. nice, nice, easy to remember album title. That's great. Okay, so, and it, I'm going to ask for then for the context: Is the you, you as in us, God speaking to us, or is it you as in you are a mighty God? Yes, it's you as in you, God. It's all about you, and every one of the songs is is the lyrics are speaking directly to God, and they've all all the song titles have got you in them. That. That makes sense. Actually, <laughs> that's great. Oh, well, and, we, and you heard it here first, everyone. So, um, so can you tell us, right? For those people who perhaps don't normally go to church, what is it about worship and singing songs to God that is so important to you? Amazing. Thanks, God. It is a great question. So, obviously, I used to sing in the nightclubs, um, and 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 the pubs and everything, and that was entertainment. So. Music is very spiritual, like whether it's to God or whether it's to light or the darkness, music is just spiritual. Even, even if you're a musician, like when I was a musician in the world, there was something deep about music. You know, I just couldn't put my finger on it. I didn't have the spiritual awakening. I didn't know Christ. But music is, is really spiritual. Now, when I was singing in the nightclub, it's entertainment. So it's, it's of the devil. It's got some other reason that you're singing the lyrics, that you're that you're trying to entice people into something. Then when I got into church, I found a I found a whole nother purpose for singing and a whole nother purpose for music, which was worship. Where now it's no longer about myself entertaining other people so that I can gain something. Now it's about worshiping God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of 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 me, the creator of us. And that was a whole nother dimension where selflessness is now gone. Worship is now for worshiping God. And I'll tell you something. It was amazing. It was liberating that I was no longer needing to entertain people. I was now here just to, to worship God. And the transition was, was really easy in terms of getting into worship. The first time I ever worshiped in church, I just closed my eyes and I worship and I just focused on God and I just worshiped God. And and I wept while I was worshiping and I opened my eyes and everybody in the church was laid on the floor in worship. And I said, This is this is this is different to what we I'm used to. This is different. And um I've kept that same philosophy or mentality, you know, all the way through my, my life as a Christian over the last 10 years which is that when I get to the microphone to worship, I focus on God. If the song is speaking to God, I focus on God and everything, nothing else matters. Just in that moment, there's only Jesus Christ that matters. If it's a song that is speaking to the congregation, then it will be a song of, of encouragement or it will be a song of spreading the gospel. So there's always them two, them two 
uh, frames of mind that I'll be in. But worship is so important to me. I mean, it's it's what we were we were created. It's what I was born to do, is to worship God, and you know, it's something to me that not only is it some something that is important to worship God, but it's something that what's been proved in my life that can bring people closer to God. Oh, well, uh, and it's been something that I definitely recognise for myself as well. So I, I my my journey uh, you mentioned you all started in a catholic background which was nominal so it's yes. always brought up in a very religious quite strict a very high anglo-catholic church um and i think you you can you can encounter god in amazing variety of different settings but that was a setting where god wasn't very welcomed if that makes sense at all I, 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 there's lots of beautiful catholic church where god's very welcome so i'm not i'm not, I'm not speaking negatively about any generation but I, I would say uh some people who are listening may go you sound a bit wacky they might go you know you, and you've talked about you talked about you know, <laughs> you, 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 people lying on the floor in worship and that for some people in their church experience they'll have never ever seen for that because i'm some people even just the idea of raising hands uh, I can remember a time when I thought raising hands was totally ridiculous and stupid. Uh, and right. I, my judgmental heart, my problem, actually. And I'm I'm glad that I've realised actually raising your hands to God can be really liberating and great part of worship. Right. And strangely, secular society seems to have got that one quite right. You go to a football match, everyone raises their hands. You go to a big gig, everyone everyone raises their hands. They get they get that they're worshiping their team and stuff. So so I, I get I'm I'm worshiping God with it. But but for people who perhaps uh, from a church that's a little bit more traditional who thinking, no, nah, that doesn't sound like I relate to it. Can you explain what what was happening? Why were people lying down? I'm going to assume that they were not falling asleep during worship. Right. I'm going to assume that something else was going on. So explain gently what yeah. was going on. So worship is worship is a is a matter of the spirit and it's a matter of, of, of the heart. So it's a personal experience. So if somebody wants to worship, uh, without putting their hands up quietly with their eyes closed, it's up to them. It's between them and God. Um, if somebody wants to roll on the floor, you know, do you know, do cartwheels, somersaults, whatever it is, it's their expression of worship. We know, we know in the Bible that you know, it's David famously danced in such a way that embarrassed his own wife. So you know, worship comes in many different in ways, shapes, and forms. Um, for somebody to be laid on the floor. For myself, if if I, I'm so deep into worship, my reverence for God can be so much in that moment that I need to fall to my knees. I've got to fall to my knees because I'm reverencing the presence of God in such a big way. And it can be same for lying down, lying prostrate. It's mentioned in the Bible many, many times if people lying prostrate before God in worship or in prayer. Um, so it's it's a it's a place of it's a place of submission before God, but more a place of reverence. Where God, you're so amazing. I need to I need to fall to my knees. I need to lower myself. I need to, and sometimes it's not. It, well, it, the majority of times it's not a conscious decision. It's something that the spirit is just so overwhelming that you you find yourself on your knees or laid flat on the on the floor. That. That's a helpful explanation. So, and and talking of it in terms of reverence before God, I think that frames it and helps people go. Because lots of church backgrounds have little church kneeling cushions, so you can spend some time being reverent on your knees. Yes. Maybe more comfortable than just over the floor. I don't know, but it's um. But but people when they think about reverence, I think lots of people will be able to go. Okay, I can understand that, and I think people will hear the sincerity of your heart in it as well, which is great. You mentioned about basically devouring the Bible. I think you said four months, yes. four months. Yes. You read the Bible. Back to back. Uh, do you know what? I would be surprised. I know there's going to be a lot of listeners uh, who have been Christians for years. I've been Christians for years. I, I don't think I've ever read the Bible back to back in four months. I, I, I normally take two years to do the Bible from, from, right. from the whole thing. So it's, uh, it's, that's, um, that's a lot of reading and i'm yes i because you didn't have a church background christian heritage really that would have spoken much about all things 
what was God doing with you? How were you understanding the scripture? What was, and it's an amazing thing to do. I, I'm, I'm, I'm both like impressed and also going, I think my brain might explode if I tried to devour that much scripture that quickly. So what, what was, what was happening during those times? If I tell you something, God, and I've tried to do it since, and yeah, it's a lot more difficult, but then it, it was like a hunger, like a, like a indescribable, like unquenchable hunger. I just needed, I needed to read these words. It was something that I just couldn't stop. I couldn't stop it. I couldn't control it. I didn't know what was going on. It was just something that I had to do. And I would wake up in the morning and I would, I would be done like chapters and chapters and chapters. And I would just be highlighting something that, that just, uh, just felt powerful to me. And I read it like a storybook. So I, I had, I had, I had a system where I was reading. I had to, I had to read something from the Old Testament and something from the New Testament. So I was reading the the Old Testament and the New Testament back to back, like, like I mean, side to side. Yeah. So I would read chapters of the Old Testament, whether I'd be in Genesis, Exodus, or Leviticus, wherever I was, and then I would be reading, you know, from John or Mark or Luke or whatever it was in in the New Testament. So I'd finish them chapters in the Old Testament, then I'd go to my section in the New Testament. And then I would keep doing that. And I would, I would be reading it like a storybook. Then I would go and get on the bus to go to the office and I'll con- continue on my mobile phone, on my digital Bible. And then I would get to the office. I would do my work. I'd have a break in work just for prayer, just for reading time. Then I would go back to work and I'd do that again later in the evening. Then I would get home. And before I would sleep, I would do the same thing again. And I, it was like a constant flow of just reading this Bible and I've been in prayer. And at that time I was living with, with my granddad still I'd gone back to Middlesbrough after being the homeless busker and I moved in with my, my, my grandfather. Oh, 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 hold it moment. What did your family make of all this then? They thought I was crazy. <laughs> just, just can I check? Did, presumably they thought you were crazy when you were in the drug scene. They did, but I wasn't kind of like sitting with them going, yeah, last night I was sniffing coke, you know, it wasn't like that. So okay, this yeah, yeah. one, I was like carrying the Bible around with me. Like it's, you know, Wow! Like it's everything, and they they knew I was going to church on the Sunday. They knew I was changing. They, you know, that he could hear me in my bedroom praying, and he he was it was kind of strange. It was like I had to learn to pray quietly, put it that way, because this it, it, there was no support for it, and the whole the whole thing of being brainwashed and you know all of the rest of it that comes with being born again was all there and a lot of opposition, a lot of opposition. But now 10 years later, the results are so, so prevalent and they're so clear that my family all appreciate what God has done in my life. And even since then, my cousin, another cousin of mine called Josh, who was about to commit suicide, um, went to the mount went to the hills in Middlesbrough we've got a lot of hills in Middlesbrough and he wanted to jump off and he sat on the floor on the top of the hill and closed his eyes and was trying to decide do I do it or do I not and when he when he did that he saw a vision of the the founders of our ministry who he's never met he's only seen them on, he's only seen them on my Instagram page he's never met them and he saw them in a vision and they said, don't do it. And he didn't do it. And then later on, he texted me. <laughs> I was in Sri Lanka at a crusade and he texted me and he said, how do I get baptized? I said, what? Wow. I said, I said, wait, before you talk about baptism, listen, you can, you can get, you can start your, your journey with Christ right now. Text him a prayer of salvation while I was in this, you know, crusade. And he texted me back like, I've just done it. I said, well, how do you feel? Said I feel great, and now we now he's in full time ministry. No, oh yeah. wow! Well, that's an amazing story. Goodness me, amazing! And since since then, my mum's received Christ, my aunties have received Christ. You know, and and they they were all very much in opposition. But actually, there was something that that my man of God, um, the founder of our ministry, Prophet Angel, taught me that helped me engage with my family, and you know, enabled me to 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 present Christ to them in a different way. And I'd like to share it very quickly. I was, I was so on fire for the, for the, for, for Jesus and the gospel 
that I would be bashing them with it all of the time. I was like, I was too, I was like, uh, you know, they'd be smoking a cigarette. I'd be like, oh, you should stop smoking. You know, you know, the Bible says this and boom, 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 boom to the point where they didn't want to be around me anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was really that crazy guy that was Bible bashing. One day I'd, I'd said to, um, you know, the founder of the ministry, Prophet Yubin Angel, I, I, I said to him, there's a Christmas party that my family has every year. They all drink, they all smoke, they swear. You know, they mock me about, about my Christianity. You know, I feel like I don't want to go. Do you think I should go there? And what he said to me changed my life forever, which was, right, go there, but don't even speak about Jesus. Just love them. If they fight, if they argue, love them. Show them love, show them joy. Don't mention church, don't mention Jesus, don't mention nothing. Just show them love, show them joy. They will see the Christ in the love and the joy that you're showing them. And I did that on at that party. And I've done that ever since. And that love did something to them so tangible that they started to come to me when they were having problems. And they started to ask me like I'm some source of, of, of wisdom because of the love of Christ that they saw through me. And, you know, if it wasn't for that, it's likely my cousin, I would never have been able to reach my cousin and my mum and everybody else. So it was something really important that I just wanted to share. Uh, you know what? That's that's really helpful. That's really helpful. So uh, I've, I've done a few things sometimes, outreach events. Uh, and uh, before the pandemic, I, I remember going and uh, just doing free hugs. Nice. N nothing actually about Jesus. Just 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 a group of us standing in, in the, the local gardens with loads of people walking past with signs saying free hugs. I tell you what, it's extraordinary yes. the number of people who really want a hug. It's not, it's, it's not, a, it's not a dodgy thing. It's just Oof. giving someone a, a a loving hug. I tell you, what, I had people break down Thank in tears, yes. and and one person, one person said, said no, nobody's ever hugged me like that. That was so kind, and just absolutely changed them to. You don't need to say necessarily say about Jesus at all, but but off the back of it, there were conversations coming because people go, well, "Why are you doing this?" Yes, and they go, oh, we're, "We're we're part of a church." But they're the ones asking and wanting to know at that point. So, um, so yeah, being being a blessing, doing something kind, yes. um, can can actually open the doors, uh, and then conversations come after that. So, so yeah, it, it, so, it's it's I I didn't know when I went out. I thought I, I've got no idea what this is going to be like because I was going with a group of people. Some have done it before. Mind blown was so good. So anyway, um, but uh, I, I guess I guess one thing I should just say is your church movement. Uh, I'm, I'm, it's definitely undoubtedly going to sound wacky to somebody. I don't know. You, you said you said the name, the church founder, prophet angel, something. Yes. So, so I'm going to guess that they are a prophet. So they they have a title of prophet, and yes. that their name is Angel. Is that right? Yes. So, so because if they're from Africa, within Africa, people have names which perhaps aren't commonplace names here within the UK. Probably not right. common elsewhere as well. So, so the fact that it's Prophet Angel is not that you think they are an angel. It's no, 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 no. no. <laughs> Just to all. clarify, I didn't want people getting a bit concerned that you were absolutely fruit loot. No, 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 okay. no, not at, not at all. Definitely. Um, Definitely, it's a name. Yeah, that's, that's helpful. And, you, and you've been quite clear as well that you're, you're really grounded in the Bible and your church loves loves the word of God and truth. So, yes. So and that's that's very helpful just to just to clarify for people going, Prophet Angel sounds a bit a bit iffy. So because uh, so, it does, it just happens to sound unusual. But that's no problem at all. So, uh, you know, we, we, we're short on time. This is not good news because we need to hear more of the story. <laughs> Uh, we haven't even got on to how on earth you met your your wife, uh, uh, what your kids are like. We've missed out this whole section of your story, <laughs> but we are too sure of time to find out. So people are going to have to look you up online. How do people find out more about you? Where, where do they connect with you? Thanks, Gordon. So I've got my website, uh, rickydoolin.com, and also on social you better, media. You better, you better spell that. Okay, I'll do that. Um, Ricky is R-I-K-K-I. And then Doolin is D-O-O-L-A-N. So you can get my website, rickydoolin.com, or my social medias are real Ricky Doolin. You can find me on all of the social media platforms. I'm there. Uh, and, and it's been a real honor to, to be with you, God, and thanks for having me on. Brilliant. So there's one last track to play from you. It's called Unchanged. No, it's called Unchanged. There is one more, <laughs> one more track to play from you. 
It's called Unchained Na Na Na. Tell us about that very quickly. Right, very quickly. Uh, the chorus, which is Na 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 Na, you'll hear it, is actually taken from um, a Jewish tradition called Halal, where they go to the Wailing Wall in Israel and they sing what they say is the Psalms um, that, that, that Paul and Silas sung when the chains were broken. They say it's the same Psalms that Paul and Silas were singing when God broke the chains of the prison and broke them out of the prison supernaturally. So I took the same melody and I added it into this song, which is a song of God breaking the chains of sin. Uh, and that's what it's about. He came down and gave it all. His love flows like a waterfall. Glorified, purified. Now we testify that we have been unchained. We are the unchained, free from the pain. He came to save the day where And that was Unchained by Ricky Doolan. What a story, what a guy, what a ministry. And I hope you enjoyed his music too. So grateful for Ricky for spending time to share that with us this week on The Artist Interview. And of course, there are many other interviews from great artists from around the world with testimony stories and great music to enjoy. So why not search up your favourite podcast platform uh, for The Artist Interview, Gordon T. It's been a pleasure being your host today. God bless you. I look forward to seeing you again on the next episode of The Artist Interview. You've been listening to The Artist Interview, a Hope FM podcast. Find us at hopefm.com forward slash The Artist Interview.